Welcome to the Vinamra Kasana show. It's been a while since I've done a podcast and I figured it'd be a fitting time to have you on as a guest because we both went at least we were both Boston residents for 4 years. Um your stay was cut short because of the pandemic. And uh now you're a content creator. What's that been like? Just that whole phasing out your senior year living at home and then being on YouTube. It's been really interesting actually because uh you know i had less than 24 hours to process everything because first so I, i went to harvard and they kicked us out they gave us 5 days notice saying mm-hmm. we're not going to this um i was on a bus to new york and then i saw the circular that said uh india is shutting its borders to all non indians including ocis and so i was born in the us born in boston actually so um, interesting you know coming back what part of boston were you born in so i lived in a town called shrewsbury it's in western massachusetts and yeah that's actually i was 9 but i Even when I lived in Bombay I'd visit every summer so very connected to the state of Massachusetts. Um but yeah so anyway I was on a bus to New York found the circular my brother also is a Harvard student he was in his first year so he called me and he's like yo Divi what do we do? Um so we were like okay we got to figure this out and get on a plane tomorrow. Um so it was insane and you know bus ke sath it's not like you can tell the bus conductor mujhe connecticut mein chhod do and then i'll i'll find my way back right right you have to go to the end of their destination and then you come back so it was very stressful i came back barely saw any friends just packed up and left um so it felt like a blur and it felt like a dream and finishing up my you know last semester of college and my graduation um in bombay was was fine i was very grateful to be with family lekin um the main thing was i'm a morning person and i had to end up sleeping at 9 a.m. every day and that totally threw off my cycle right. because you know it was all us timing um and yeah and you know post graduation the plan actually was i so i've been a professional singer for a while and the plan was could you please turn on your audio a little bit like could you turn the gain on of course is this better much better yeah please yeah um so i've been a professional singer for a while and um knew that I wanted to pursue music and business stuff post grad regardless so we had a tour planned out in the US parts of the UK parts of India and of course everything went kaput you know um so when we moved when I came back to Bombay um i think for me i was really 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 missing being on stage and hmm. acting with people whether that was in a performance capacity i do a lot of public speaking as well so you know logo ki yaad aa rahi thi and because of that I think that's what drew me to content creation. I'd always, you know, I'd always done music stuff, right? So I had a few music videos out and I had one or two performances, but YouTube for me prior to the pandemic was a portfolio dump. It's like, here, look, I performed here, here's a small clip or hey, I have a new song out, here's a video. Um but I started doing other kinds of content, you know, in the kind of education space, in the life space, if you will. I I don't know if I should call it lifestyle because it is all of that in one, but The way I phrase it is it's it's all a combination of songs, stories and conversations and to me it's really important that all of these usually have a sense of emotion attached to them, fun attached to them or meaning attached to them. So it's been fun, it's been fun growing that and it's uh it's been a been a crazy ride, but yeah. <laughs> What's it been like um switching from being a college student to now a full-time content creator? Um do you consciously study formats to try to adjust rather align yourself to the whims of the indian market indian audiences and i mean i know because i was corresponding with the team how much of you know for the lack of a better word pr work goes into understanding and curating 
this image of who you are. And I only say that because I've had friends from Berkeley College of Music for a while. I've had friends um, who are actors who studied at Boston University's College of Fine Arts. And I saw that even if they were at a very amateur level, they were still working with agents to make sure that they came across their, their artistic persona was intact for the lack of a better word again. No, no, that's a great question. Um, and thanks for alluding to Berkeley as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was doing a dual degree at Harvard and Berkeley. So both of those experiences were there. And, you know, it's been interesting. Um, so I started off my professional artistic career, if you will, in theater, actually. And I mm. did theater when I was in high school. Um, and then I took a year off. I took a gap year between my high school and college. Um, and, you know, I'd gotten into college and I asked them to defer because I had the opportunity to play a lead role in this production called Agnes of God. Um, and I loved it. I think for me, music had always been a passion and um, something I love to do, but I never considered it a profession. And that year mm. gave me the time to really find my voice and experiment with that. Right. And so I started working. That's the first time in addition to doing the theater stuff, in addition to doing, you know, I was doing this global health fellowship because I was always interested in that. And we can talk about that as well. Um, I started writing and I started performing. And this was five years ago. And at that time, India's independent music scene wasn't as poppin as it is right now. So it actually, in certain parts, was not considered as um as cool to perform in a restaurant or a bar, you know, or even some clubs. So I actually got a lot of experience performing at charity fundraisers because I do mm. a lot of work in the global health space. Um, so I was like, hey, y'all have fundraisers. Can I perform at them? And so I got that stage experience through theater, through that, through multiple things. And I fell in love with being an artist and trying to create, right? Mm. Um, and so I was very clear going into college that that is something that I wanted to pursue. Uh, so it's not like my college experience to content creation was just, I'm a student and I am a creator and two different worlds. It, it felt like I was somebody who was trying to be an artist who also went to college, right? Because even when I was in mm. college, I performed, so I, I was in New York so often performing there. I'd come back to India three or four times a year um, to perform like I came back for NH7 last year, the year before I came back to perform at the 2611 uh, terror attack memorial. And, you know, when I'd be here for, for different parts and, and, you know, it was a very conscious decision because I was very clear that after graduating, no matter what I did, even if the artistic journey didn't work out, I wanted to be self-employed and kind of run my own show. Um, so the way I saw that manifesting was, you know, trying out the artistic space and hopefully that growing and or getting into the business realms. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so it's been it's been really interesting uh, when, you know, coming back to your question about PR and the team and everything. Mm -hmm. I've worked with so many different agencies and uh, teams. I've worked with a bunch of people in the U.S., uh, including literally student from Harvard, student from Berkeley, student from Northeastern. And I would say, hey, you want experience in this space. Why don't you work with me? Um, and we created that. I've worked with agencies in India as well, if a couple. And I've had great experiences with all of them. But today, the way my team is, it's, uh, it's a small team. It's about four or five people. But the main two folks who you probably were chatting with, mm -hmm. um, both, are, both are women. One is based in New York, one is based in Bombay, and worked really hard to curate that team. Because for me, it was really important that um, anybody I work with, I want them to be a business partner and, and for this to be a growth opportunity for them 
throughout, right? Because uh, I have visions that go beyond just ugly hafte. We have to put this video out, right? Right. It's, it's all of these things. How do we build platforms? How do we build visions? And there's a lot of interesting stuff in the works. Um, so yeah, sorry, that was a very long answer. To no, me. no, no, I, I love that. As much tangents as possible often make for a great answer. Um, Berkeley College of Music, huh? I had a underground music venue that I ran with a friend for a while. Um, we we used to stay in Alston, which was called you know Alston Rock City, Alston Rat City, depending on which circles you hung out in. And um, there was an opportunity. Um, I was in a fraternity that I founded, and I remember opening this music venue up, and the first bands that sort of came through were primarily kids from Berkeley College of Music who were looking for an alternative way. an alternative venue rather to perform in and have fun and drink and you know just chill out did you happen to perform at any gritty venues um in new york or boston because i know there's a bunch of boston has a huge house so house show circuit because of uh, colleges did, did that hap- end up happening to you not as much some of my band members uh did with some of their other acts for me I guess because I've been doing this for a while and I had a network in other spaces right beyond mm-hmm. that, uh, core music um I was very intentional about the shows I did not that house shows or underground isn't fun I think they're so much fun but just that wasn't the vibe of my music and I knew that it mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily fit into that space I have done house concerts but definitely not the college type in the same way Right um, we have I mean definitely- more like Indian uncles and aunties clapping yeah, I, I mean definitely yeah. in the uncles and aunties but they pay well um and you know sometimes you get great opportunities out of those but also you know I've done a lot of uh because Boston is such a college student friendly city I've done a lot of shows with and for college students as well mm-hmm. um and really really enjoy that I loved you know being able to book my own shows do this do that I uh to me I'm a very I think education was really important to my family and you know for multiple reasons and I can go into that if you'd like um but you know as somebody who had been if you will trained to to try to be a good student right mm. um, i knew how to do school so for me everything else apart from school was more exciting while i was in college you know um i knew how to get good grades i knew because i'd been doing i mean my point is you've been in a system for so long you kind of know how to do that right and even right. my education i customized to myself i was the first person to do this harvard berkeley program so mm. i was their guinea pig and i really you know i really went deep into the berkeley system and took as much as i could from it and gave back as much as i could as well and likewise with harvard like you know i was taking classes in so many different departments and sometimes i'd convince professors to let me submit a song as a final project instead of a paper interesting right? um or create this independent study where i was able to bring together mental health networks all across the city in india and get grants because those were things i cared about and i'm like i want to learn i want to learn from these amazing people but i also want to make it feel like i'm creating skills and building that kind of through the process you know hmm. um yeah that's a tangent from did i perform at those spaces but long story short i i learned a lot of different aspects of the music business by doing it hmm. um, as well as by learning in school to some degree but most of it came from doing and i think that's often the best way to get your feet wet and it helps to also have mentorship and guidance I agree. I know lots of people who wanted to be music managers and ended up doing a degree in music business but didn't actually have enough skill in the game and then ended up getting shitty jobs that 
that just often happens that even I have a degree in advertising, but the real chops that I got was by making content um, because it's very easy to present a portfolio to a professor and get a pat on the back. I mean, they're paid to, you know, grade you. Um, but, but you actually get real world experience by doing stuff and failing and like just uh, stacking yourself up against people who don't even have a degree in the same field, but just have more experience. Um, taking a segue from there, I want to talk to you about now, considering that you said that you already knew how to sort of succeed at education because um, you were in the system for so long and, you know, I'm assuming you're an ICSE student. Um, yeah. yeah. What, even, even after studying in India, what patterns around maybe the way you consume information, the way you study for exams, just the way you think about subjects, did you have to unlearn when you first arrived in the US? And I know that you have a little bit of experience um, because you already sort of, you know, grew up there in, in the first parts of your, of your life, but still, were there mindsets that Indian students have that you had to unlearn when you went there? That's a great question. I think, so I think a few things, right? Um, in most systems in India, and it's changing, but it's a slow change. Um, right? Right. Mug up information. Right. And uh, that skill, because it was important to memorize. In fact, that skill helped me in theater because I could learn my lines like this, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> you never know where it comes in handy. But um, I think that the biggest issue most of my peers faced when, when going was analytical thinking uh, when it came to something that was social science based or in, in say English and, and writing. Um, now, if people studied humanities, it depends. So for example, I did AP English because my school offered it and I just loved mm. English. So immediately it wasn't as much of an adjustment and I'd been a writer for many years. Um, but I think the main thing is just adjusting the mind mindset because it's very easy to fall into the trap and to do well off I will mug this up, regurgitate, and then I can figure out how to do well on the exam. Right. There are people here in this very field, you can learn from them in a way that goes beyond that, right? In a way that you can interact with them, interact with their classmates. Um, So I think the the biggest thing is, is, right, we don't emphasize as much in our education system collaboration, right? We have Mm. these random group projects, but it's not really collaborative in in the same way. So... I really think that that was the biggest shift. Other than that, I honestly think that the Indian system prepared us super well, especially fundamentally when it came to things like math and science, Mm. um, where I saw some other students kind of having to play catch up. Uh, And honestly, you know, no matter what system you go to, people always ask me, they're like, should I do ICSC, CBSC, SSC, this, blah, IB. And I always say, do what you think you will do best in and you know, that, that suits you because at the end of the day, when you reach college, it doesn't matter. It's an equalizing field. People are coming from different parts of the world, different parts of your own country, the U S and Alagalik system and everybody figures it out. You know, you right. lack in one area, but you'll always figure out a way to kind of pull yourself up in that area. So. Hmm. Yeah. When I arrived in the U S I was put in the worst class for, people who spoke English as a foreign language. Mm. And it went against everything I had learned about myself my entire life because my friends and my teachers and my parents all believed that I was a great writer and that my English was flawless. So that cognitive dissonance caused me to really think about um, 
can I argue critically on paper? And the answer was no. I could write beautiful sentences, but I, I was very weak in logically putting forth my points. And so that's something I had to learn and I had to petition to get into a better class. And then eventually I was able to catch up and then start, you know, beating my peers left and right and all that. But it that's one of the central flaws that I noticed about our system yeah. where you're, at least because I was a CBSE student, you're, you're taught to, um, you're graded for being flowery in your language for the lack of a better word. I've, I've heard yeah. this sentence number of times language right like just 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 paint just glaze over something just band-aid this right <laughs> sorry you, you what would you, you say beautiful picture with your words you know exactly exactly Sound fancy. <laughs> yeah and and logical argument is probably the biggest thing I took away from from the college system when I was at BU and that still remains with me till this day and I'm surprised by how valuable it is because even when I see Indian writers who write listicles, um, I see them going off in different tangents and I could just hope to tell them, you know, um, if you take a bunch of college writing classes, you'd be pretty much set for any kind of field that involves communication because that those classes really set you like the one thing the Americans have gotten right is, is the essays. Um, and you know, there's a lot of questions I get a lot of, cause I also do writing content on my other channel. I get a lot of questions around, um, how to write a college essay and all that jazz. And, I'm sure you must get even more because, you know, you went to Harvard, the whole prestige attached with that alone. Uh, did you shit gold on your essay to get there? You know, all, all of that. Um, what did you write in your essay? Um, and d- like, did it really matter in the end? Cause I know I wrote a bunch of stupid shit in the essay, but it was honest about me discovering my love for the Eagles, which is a rock band from the seventies. And, and just that propelling a bunch of, curiosities I never knew I had around philosophy, psychedelics, all that jazz. It's just like, I just blurted it all, all, all out on paper. And that ended up me, that ended up with me going to be, what, what was your essay story like? I think that sounds fascinating. Um, and and you actually hit the nail on the head. So my essay story is actually out there if anybody wants to, to check it out. I shared it on, on a, in a video on my YouTube channel and I also read it out in ASMR, so it has that extra quality to it. Um, but it really also is a personal story, right? And to me, it's titled Lost My Sight, Found My Voice. Um, and it was talking about why I cared about these two primary passions, one being health and the other being music and the arts. Um, and just super quick backstory. All my grandparents were doctors. My aunt and uncle are doctors, so I grew up around that. Uh, but I've also personally had a lot of health issues for my life. I was born mm. in my heart when I was 15. I lost my sight, my left eye uh, because of a brain virus. Luckily, it meant that it was reversible, but, you know, recovery was hard. All of that. Mm. You hear about it all in the essay. Um, but it wasn't meant to be a sob story, right? So I'm like, this all happened to me and now I'm a changed human. It was just this situation. What did it teach me? Right. And in losing that, what did I find? I felt like I had a voice. Right. And the reason for that was it was hard. This was right before my prelims before, you know, in my in my board exam year. And I felt like I didn't remember anything. Um, and as somebody who, you know, my identity had been based very much on being one of the top students and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It was hard. And the thing that got me through it was music. Right. And the thing that got me through it was that as a healing thing for me. But I realized music's healing power, if it could have that profound effect on me, what could it do for other people? And how could I be a part of that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think at that age is kind of when I started to shift my mindset from music being just this side thing to how can I use music as this vehicle 
um, to kind of drive forward change for me personally, mm. but also in society, right? And so I'm super happy that I got that opportunity during my gap year uh, to actually experiment with it and, and realize that instead of what I had initially envisioned doing something in say the global health space or the social impact space and combining that with the arts, how could I be an artist? And hopefully, you know, build a platform that speaks to people's, not just their minds, but also their hearts and their soul. And right. as a result, having conversation and having discourse. <clears throat> and, you know, it's been interesting because you asked about content. I always thought that I had to establish myself more strongly as a musician first, right? People should <laughs> love my music um, or should know my music or, you know, uh, before I started sharing aspects of my personality. Um, but during lockdown, when I started doing all these other kinds of content and even bringing, you know, people like my grandmother on my channel and talking about a bunch of different things. Right. Um, I found that there were people who, especially today's generation, right, Gen Z today, they don't care just about the one thing that you do. They care about you as a holistic person, um, as a holistic human and, and so many other aspects to that. So it was cool to me to see that people who might have come for something else were also staying for the music. And it mm. was building this ecosystem around. And so for me, I, I'd always envisioned this to be a later in life thing, but I'm super happy that it's happening at this stage where I feel like it's all building simultaneously. There's pros and cons to that for sure, but um, I'm just very grateful. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange notion to get immediate feedback on the stuff that you put out because typically what happens is if you're a film director or even a musician, you you make something, you have a time period where you let it simmer and you you know, you know fine-tune it and finally you put it out and you don't know if it's going to work or not. Um, with content, that gets eliminated completely because you can just post something and see based on some quantity metrics and some quality metrics that whether this, whether this is worth pursuing, whether the outline of this idea that I've put out can be made into something more tangible, something more, um, you know, on a, on a massive scale. I had a professor of film who um, shat on influencers for a while um, and he was saying, you know, there's just something about content that that just film film just supersedes content because you you work on it for a year and then you finally release it and you can see and all that. And I said I disagree. And I started this podcast and I started a bunch of other content ventures. It's weird because like a part of you wants to go back and perfect certain aspects and and think about really. Um, sort of honing in your, onto your voice and figuring out what your exact persona is. And like this whole Gen X idea about even niches, right? Because that's what you're often taught in college to find a niche. Um, all of that, that whole thesis just gets reversed on its head when you start making content and you see people appreciating your quirks or even the weird things that you do more than the content that you actually put out. And I hate to be a cliche here, but I've heard a bunch of things about this being the era of personality-based content on YouTube. And I'm starting to believe that is the case now. What do, you, what do you think about that? I fully agree. You know, one thing that's been really fun for me is um, is meeting other content creators, right? Obviously, much mm. of it virtually in 2020, but starting 2021, at least folks in Bombay, uh, I've been able to meet with some of them. We've collaborated as well. And I've always been so fascinated, right, by somebody who creates content for a living now, I guess I do it myself. Um, but it, it, it almost felt like, whoa, uh, because you have to be, you have to be so okay with, like you said, your personality being something that is out there, right? And and that can be both lauded and criticized. And, and 
it doesn't matter, right? At the end of the right. day, you are true to who you are. And I find that the people who are growing the fastest are the people who truly are are that in real life and and kind of online and have been able to um, move very seamlessly and, and, and show who they are. I think for me, one thing that I found really interesting, I'm curious your thoughts on this as, as a content creator yourself. For the longest time, you know, as a musician, you're conditioned to think that other stuff is just so that people will listen to your music, right? Mm. It's like, oh, post a picture if somebody- It's a funnel for the main thing, yeah. Exactly, right? Um, And I do agree with that to some degree, but it makes us fall into this trap where it's like we're constantly, the main things we're pushing out are the song, the video, and then sometimes people just disappear, right? And then they expect Mm. the next time a song or video comes out, the same people will love it. But if you're not giving them anything in between, you're not giving them a chance to know you, a chance to build connection, then what are they going to hold on to, right? Hmm. For some artists, of course, it works. For some people, they are just very, very streamable artists, right? Their songs are from very particular kind of um, listening audience. Uh, but I knew, I'm, I know for a fact that a lot of my music is more performance oriented, right? Hmm. Or it fits in with the messaging, the emotion. It's not, um, if I were, you know, playing sad songs on a guitar in a very particular tone, like that does super well as a listening audience, but may not do as well visually, you know? So right. it really just depends. And, hmm. and for me, what I have loved, because this has always been at the core of anything that I do, um, it's community building, right? And so for me, I have loved that aspect of this, right? And what I mean by that is, of course, being strategic with your content, being experimental, seeing what works, what doesn't, all of that. And I'm sure you, you know, can also share, but the, the simple act of responding to somebody and hmm. meaningfully so, not just saying heart, heart, love you, but no, but responding to somebody and making them feel seen, especially during this past year when people, all they want is to feel seen and acknowledged and heard. Right. It's a long way. You know, when you reach a certain scale, it's hard to respond to all your DMs. Um, but the effort you make to try to make people feel seen and heard, or like, you know, we have a Discord server um, and just bringing together that community, I, I just have found that it's so meaningful and so powerful. And so to me, I value that so much above, okay, this video did well, this didn't do as well. Um, fine, I will learn from it and move on as opposed to obsessing over those numbers mm-hmm. um, because it can get to you, you know? So for me, I'm for sure. really looking at it from the lens of how do I build a community? Um, how do I build a community that is maybe cares about similar things, maybe doesn't, but is okay talking about them, right? And, hmm. um, I... I've been, fortunately, you know, it's been been really grateful that that I've seen that happening thus far. You know, it's almost as if you have to, it's like the people who are very active in our community, um, they almost think they're like, would Avanti, did he like it if I said this? Um, so should I say this? Or they're like, you know, call each other out when people are acting in a certain way. So it's, it's kind of cute. It's cool. Right, right. One of the best things the community can do for you is give you a sampling period to test out ideas that um, you would normally, you would never do otherwise. Because I know for a fact that when I came to YouTube, my my agenda was to make writing videos in Hindi so that mm-hmm. this this mystery around writing being locked by the Chetan Bhagats and the Shashi Tharoos and the Arundhati Roys of India could be um, democratized in a way. Um, but then once you start putting out content, your community says, Hey, how about you make a video about how to finish a book? And that allows you to get more ideas. So, so it really helps with that. I find it strange still um, about how people 
will refer to you as bhaiya or didi because for me it's been a while since i've been referred to as bhaiya you know beyond my immediate family yeah. and and i feel strange and grateful that a stranger on the internet thinks of me as bhaiya and then i think about all of these voids in the concrete space and how just the terms of endearment that indians have even the younger ones i mean despite the fact that they use discord there's still something about projecting you know a kind of a brotherly sisterly presence onto your favorite content creator that just adds a level of responsibility on your own part to sort of fulfill that role even if you like are kind of skeptical about it like the fuck why am i your bhaiya right you kind of want to like do your own thing but it just for me it's one of the things that allows me to wake up in the morning and realize i still have all of these people who are looking i mean if they're actually looking for my video i'm not sure but like just knowing that there's people waiting for it is i think enough um motivation to get me out of bed 100% yeah i agree i i it's funny cuz i love being called didi and b <laughs> um i have an older sister i have a younger brother uh and i don't know i just wear that identity on my sleeve so when that started becoming a thing and now pretty much i would say a lot like <laughs> that i'm like wow you know apna pan wala feeling aata hai and right um i enjoy it you're right it just gives you the sense of response and almost duty right hmm. toward things and and you have to find this, the right balance of being true to yourself and also thinking how you can nurture you know um for me i think the hardest thing and i'm curious your thoughts on this as well was kind of transitioning into content what i mean by that is um I was very clear. I apologize one second. No worries. Just shut that off. Um I was very clear that I wanted it to be known from early on that if you are coming to me you are going to get multiple types of content. You hmm. you cannot get this just the same thing, right? Right. And I've seen so many people who will grow with one particular kind of thing, but then that's all that people expect from them. You know, hmm. and then it's really hard to diversify. um or they've built an audience for that particular thing i think i think it's a fine line between finding your niche and also being able to showcase right and and i don't know if i've i've cracked that yet but to me i was very clear that you know for example if i created certain types of say vlog content i knew that that would make me grow much more rapidly right um but i knew that I also wanted to do other things and if I continued only on that path my music wouldn't be as recognized or maybe education wouldn't be as recognized or all of these other things so you know even though it's been more of a slow burn if you will it's been pretty rapid you know but it's also been a slow burn as mm-hmm. compared to what I knew it could be um I've been very comfortable being like okay this is all that you're going to get on this platter take it or leave it and you know that's kind of uh the Yeah space. I think a little bit of gratitude goes a long way when even three people watch a video and that doesn't seem like a lot especially when you get used to receiving a certain kind of attention numerically at least um but i just remind myself of that i had a friend once and she was saying you know um i feel like i should have more followers i've been putting out all this great travel content and i'm like do you imagine what can you imagine what 36000 people look like in a stadium <laughs> and it's it's that little switch from seeing those numbers to getting specific about all of these numbers being a specific person sitting in a stadium watching you you will shit your pants i mean i don't know how many people you performed for in concerts but i'm sure you haven't performed for a stadium that's what that that's what it actually is that's the number of people who are behind you um and and if you if you contextualize it 
if all 36,000 people are watching you at the same time, you will get nothing but shivers and tears and, and gratitude for uh, how they've just, you know, like backed you. But hmm. for you, you know, right. like it's, I've performed at big festivals where there have been, you know, 30,000, 40,000, but they're, Oh, you have. Okay. Part of, but yeah. But, but it's okay. I mean, India has scales, so you can imagine that <laughs> being the case, but, but you're part of the lineup. You're part of a pre-existing thing. And maybe some people discover you afterward, but it's really, I mean, you're just, you are there, right? It is not going mm. to come for you in the same way. But imagining, like you very rightly said, X, 100, X, 1,000, X, whatever it might be, there for you, that it, it, it is insane. And it totally blows. I completely agree. Right. want to segue into Boston a bit. Um, recently, I'm so I'm so um, sad that I had to graduate and leave. Um, they they decriminalized psilocybin, and in 2016, they legalized cannabis. I, I certainly enjoyed the benefits of that. Um, I'm wondering what was it about the city? Was it the and Boston and Cambridge both? Cambridge is slightly more quaint. I liked it better to be honest. Um, what was it about this? I guess amalgamation of uh, education slash social life slash New England charm that that maybe you know that propel you to have amazing times there. Were there memories of you walking around the Charles River Esplanade? Um, were there times when you were parting your ass off at Bijou? Like any memories that strike off to you? Yeah. Um, so you know what's interesting is I probably spent more time in Boston proper the mm. majority of my classmates. And, Interesting. And part of that is because, you know, Harvard is very residential. Um, so most people live on campus and therefore a lot of their experiences are on campus or they'll go with clubs off of campus if they go to some place. Um, whereas, you know, say at BU, I had a lot of friends at BU or other schools, many people live off campus. So it's a little bit more, you feel like you're in the city. In a mm. um, I mean, Austin, of course, is also a lovely place. And for me, however, a, because I was performing, so I was constantly performing in different parts of not just Boston, but Massachusetts as well and right. other parts of New England. Second, because of Berkeley, I was on a bus every day, sometimes multiple times a day between the two institutions. Um, you know, and you had to cross the river. Did you take the B line? No, I took the, the one bus. So okay. It actually dropped me right where I lived and then right in front of Berkeley's campus. So it was lovely. Number of people I have met and seen on that bus is, is a whole other story. <laughs> um, but you know, I would spend a lot of time, and then also, um, you know, your social life does play a role. So I started dating somebody when I was in my freshman year. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a senior. We're still dating. I mean, it's been four and a half years at this point. Uh, but then he moved. He lived in Boston the first year after graduating. Uh, but he lived kind of, I would say, in between. He lived in Cambridge, Ports, so in between Cambridge and Boston. Mm -hmm. um, and then he he moved to, to Asia and he was kind of working in Asia for a couple of years. So we were long distance as well. And I think having that experience of somebody who you're very closely connected with, who is in the working world, um, also allowed me to see it as not just a student, but in so many other ways. Like right, right. Um, so for me, Boston, I mean, or I'd like, <laughs> I had to figure out when we were going on dates and things, you know, one is student budget, but also what can you do when you're under 21? Right. I don't drink or, or do anything mostly because of my voice. So it wasn't 
a, you know, a want to go to a bar, but it was mostly like, I want to get into this place so I can, you know, hang out with somebody. Um, like we were thrown out of a, a wedding engagement of a friend of ours because I was under 21 and it was a restaurant, but they just happened to serve alcohol and they're like, sorry, you're not of age. Wow. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, I just, I love Boston. And if anybody's ever curious, I, I thought of making this, but I can literally make a list of a hundred dates that are on a low budget or free. And when I say dates, I mean, I would take friends on dates too, right? Like, mm-hmm. meaning just this idea that you do an experience together. Um, I would I would love it. And just there's so much to do if you are willing to look for it and not just be in, in one space, right? And I think um, when you go to college and hopefully when people can go to college in a way that's physical and not online, um, part of the experience is really the friends you make you know, the network you build and all of that as well. Um, but truly it's, it's, it's all of that. Right. And so finding experiences and, and um, creating memories in ways that are not just confined to the one thing that you're used to doing, I think is, is really cool. And, and I really enjoy that. Um, one of my favorite places, and I don't know if you went or if it was around, but did you ever go to pavement coffee? Of course. Okay. Multiple times was my home. I went to every single pavement in Boston. I kid you not. I would have all my meetings there and I would be very obnoxious and order this. I would order a um, turmeric ginger tea as a London fog with almond milk, no sugar. That was <laughs> basically healthy dude, Bria. Basically healthy dude, but with not dude, right? Um, right, right, right. <laughs> and so that was my order every time. I mean, they knew me as the girl who would order that. Like, I kid you not. Right. Every single... Um, space I went to so it's just you know things like that 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 you find as your own or because of musical stuff right I was also collaborating with students from across so I have <laughs> filmmaker friends from BU right I had friends at Emerson I had business school friends at Northeastern and you know we'd meet a lot of different people and to me I love exploring other campuses and <laughs> kind of working on things together too so yeah one of the best things I could do for my college life is not go to a college that was in the middle of nowhere because I had a uh, I had too many friends who I saw pictures of, videos of, partying their asses off as as they should in a college that is basically in a remote village. But then comparing experiences after four years and seeing that they did not get to explore a city or that the nearest city was 200 miles away. And and that sort of makes you realize that you have this amazing campus. Uh, you can double down on all the facilities you want. You can call Taiga to your, con- to your campus because you know you don't really have anything else in the city. But being in a city college, and you know, I'm saying this for even kids who end up studying in India, is far better than being in the middle of nowhere. Because all then all you have is the people around you and your books, and that I think that can be very limiting, because access to Boston and all these campuses, like you said, allowed me to, again, not just see myself as a student, but as a person in this city, right? And and to be to take to to don the hat of a student when I wanted to, and to also explore. Uh, go to different parts of the city, go to New York, go to the West Coast, all of that. Um, and just being in the culture of Boston, whatever it had to offer, yeah. uh, allowed me to understand big cities and like that whole new kid in town template. So I could, you know, uh, you know, uh, reiterate it when I went to other cities. Um, all of that happened because I was in Boston and that conscious choice allowed me to make friends uh, that were again, like just like your boyfriend, working people, people who just worked in the city. And, and just seeing those experiences, I don't know, it's really shaped me. I, I don't know if how I would have been if I went to campus, I, if I went to Penn State, for example, or even Cornell, great colleges, but like, again, in the middle of nowhere, where all you have is, oh, the 
XYZ society is organizing a fest. Let's go there. And I just didn't want that with my college experience. I didn't want to be a glorified student where everyone would say, oh, we're all in the same boat. Uh, I just, I just hated that. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I, I will slightly disagree though, in the sense hmm. that it is a personal choice, right? I see sure. people, I, I, I was like, you. I was like, I want to be in a city. I want to experience all of these things. I have friends of different ages, different backgrounds, all of that. Um, but you know, there's, there's value to being, uh, it just really depends on your personality. I think for, for people, sure for some people who are in, um, these more say town-based or just like more college campus vibes, I found that sometimes their friendships are a little bit deeper, right? Because that's sure. they can, the only people they can hang out with. In my case, I was barely on either campus. So, you know, I have a lot of friends and I have some friends who are very close, but my social style has always been lots of people know well, as opposed to like a squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a personal choice. But if you are somebody who wants that, sometimes having that proximity to people and, and it helps, right? So um, not not to say that I, I completely agree with you and I, no, I, know, I know. align with you, but I'm just saying that it, it depends on people's. Yeah, I was just expressing my distaste at that, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, I know people who who did that and, and turned out just fine. Um, what's What's interesting about having friends across the globe now is when you talk to them, you understand there are parts of you that you consciously or unconsciously leave behind in that country. And, and when you talk to them, they, those get brought up on the surface again. Now you have friends in Mumbai and in parts of India, but you also have friends in the US. Um, are there things that you're reminded of when you talk to them that your Indian self does not know about at all? My Indian self, could you elaborate? Yeah. So what I mean by that is um, I have had this for a while where when I first started to think in English, um, because that's, that, was, that is something that was not conscious. I had to learn that. Um, parts of my personality changed. I, English became this language where I could um, speak for long hours at a time and then chase my whims. Yeah. Whereas Hindi, rather the colloquial style of Hindi that I speak in, was basically a way in which I emoted and communicated, but didn't have much bandwidth for long form communication. So uh, I used to think that my English self is for the lack of a better word, more intellectual, um, prone to going on long uh, rants and uh, being amazed at just how, like just how great I am, greatly I'm speaking, but my Hindi self was different. Did you have that split in your psyche with your English and your Hindi self? That's so interesting when it comes to language. So immediately I grew up even when I was in the U.S., my parents, my mom's Punjabi, my dad's Maharashtrian, and so right. which is Hindi. Um, so they grew up speaking Hindi to us. I grew up bilingual. However, it would be 80% English, 20% Hindi. And when I moved to India, I said, Mira, Nam, Avanti, like that's what I sounded like, right? Um, so <laughs> it was a big transition. And the thing is, I went to an international school briefly for a couple of years, and then I went to a Christian school. I went to the school called Cathedral in, in Mumbai. And mm. um, nobody, I mean, that the school I went to was in South Bombay. Nobody spoke Hindi with each other, right? It was a class you did. But beyond that, it wasn't a conversational language. And so for me, right. Hindi was never this thing that I accessed. It was either something in a book. Um, and, and because I didn't know Hindi, I had actually been allowed to do French until the eighth standard. But then they forgot to submit my papers. So ninth grade onwards, they're like, actually, you have to do Hindi. I was like, but I don't even know. Ka, ka, ka. So I wow. had to take like tuition five times a week and really get myself 
you know, up there. Wait, um, so you, so you learned the Dave Nagri script in ninth grade? Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Wow. <laughs> so for me, I was like, whoa, but it helped me a lot. One, because I learned, uh, I spent a lot of time learning Hindustani classical music. And so was really, really important. Right? Pronunciation, right? Exactly. Pronunciation. Hmm. Um, and then I found that, okay, I had these two selves. I had a Hindi self where I can speak in a lot of kitabi, meaning like bookish. Um, right. Right. Stuff like that. And then I had my English self and it was so interesting because the two would never meet. Um, hmm. If I tried to speak in English, it would be, I would give myself away because I sound like this. I sound American dominant, right? And my accent's been like this my whole life. Um, I also never thought in, I still don't think in Hindi, I think I'm getting better at it. Um, hmm. But, you know, for me, I've always thought in English. So for me, the translation is always happening in my mind, whether it's Hindi or now I can understand Marathi, I'm trying to speak it a little bit better. Um, but for me, actually, when I went to college and I would keep coming back to India, right? And at that point I'd started because of my gap year and because I was clear, I'd started doing a lot of more work in the entertainment industries and things of that nature. And just realizing that most people I'm interfacing with are more themselves when they're speaking in Hindi. They feel mm. more formal when they're speaking in English. And so I will always come across as not apna if I don't learn how to bridge that gap. Right. Right. Um, so for me, learning English felt like learning a new language. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had to learn how to say certain English words in almost a Hindi accent when I'm trying to be seamless in the flow. Um, <laughs> and it sounds bizarre to someone who's not. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah. But it was it was very interesting. And then for me, it was actually a conscious choice when I started doing some other, um, <clears throat> some of my content that I wanted to try to be bilingual. It's still English mm. dominant, but I do speak a lot of Hindi in, in some of my content as well. Um, and and for part of it was just, I wanted practice. And I'm like, hey, I'm decently comfortable in front of a camera. Let me just practice that. Let me do that. And, 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 you know, content creators I'm meeting, some are more comfortable in this, some are not. Some are like very Marathi. To me, I'm loving it. I'm loving that space. And I think, you know, of course, there are cultural references and nuances that your friends may get in some parts of the world and they won't in other parts. Right. But I feel really grateful that a lot of my friends are very open to understanding things, right? And and I'm very open to understanding things on their end. So I've definitely been made fun of first. Like, in, okay, when I was in high school in India, I would say things somewhat American in an you know, American diction wise. So I'd say, oh, we have a scheduled test. And they'd be like, ha, 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 it's scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or like my first English paper, um, it came back with so many red marks and I'm like, what the heck? It's because I'd spelled color C-O-L-O-R. Right. And, I still make, make that mistake. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know how to spell half these words now because I don't know which side of my to use. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really interesting. And you're right, right? There's these different selves, but I find that we have different selves regardless of our culture. Like we have it, we are slightly different when we're with our parents than we are with our friends then we are with sometimes our partners, then we are with professionals, right? There's different parts of us, right? And um, I enjoy that. And I I think for me, a lot of my friends also and, and at, at Harvard were very global. You know, many of them had mm. uh, came from very different countries. Um, I spent a summer, I actually had to go to the UK for, for a couple of meetings one summer. And I was like, I'm going there anyway, so might as well, 
go to Europe, right? Uh, right. And it was great because I was able to plan it out because I had so many friends doing internships in Europe or who were from Europe or parts that I stayed with a different person every city I went to. Hmm. Um, and I was there for two weeks and it was the most amazing experience. And to me, I'm like, that's the beauty, right? That's the beauty of going to a place and being able to make friends with people from different backgrounds, right? And it, it doesn't mean that, oh, you have to have friends who are in different countries. Like, that's cool. That's an addition. But just people who have different mindsets, thoughts, come from different socioeconomic backgrounds than you, come from different family backgrounds than you. So you open up your mind to not just your bubble. And your right. bubble meaning your, your own self, but you're also your culture because culture is such a built thing, right? So, yeah, yeah, I've said this more than once on this podcast and my Hindi channel as well. One of the biggest mistakes without judging them, I, I saw my peers who are from India make is almost like painfully forcing themselves to only be with other Indians. Yeah. And if you take that forward, um, it can become a very navel gazy sort of contest. And you could you can see how some of them get sad. And I had a couple of people come up to come up come up to me and say, uh, you have all these American friends. Can you teach me how? And for me, that meant one of two things. One, that the idea of being subjugated or being afraid to speak to other races was very prominent in some of my peers' heads. And the second, that they hadn't really left the comfort of home uh, in a new country, which is fine because you do need things, people, objects that remind you of home. But um, I think if you live in that cocoon too much, you end up spending four years with other Indians coming back with nothing but memories with other Indians. And there's nothing wrong in that, but it's like you're leaving. It's like you have a massive cake and you just eat the cherry. What is the point of that? I see that even with friends of mine who went to college in India, right? There are some people hmm. who they went to a Jehind or an HR or some local colleges. And they, you know, because I went to high school in South Bombay, they will hang out only with that crowd. Um, and they'll be like, oh yeah, but I had a classmate who went, who's from Kargar. And I'm like, bro, that's a place that exists. Um, you know, get out of your little cocoon. And um, it's friendship, right? At the end of the day, it's cool because college is an equalizer in some way. School often, you're you're all in the same area or there's some something that-, that Right, right. With college, People are coming from such different backgrounds. Um, I think it's just important to to open yourself to to those experiences and, and be be aware, right? And we think that, especially when we go out, oh, there's this whole white fitur and superior, correct, place, right? And so as a result, like it sounds, I feel sad for some of your friends who you were mentioning saying mm. that, right? Because clearly, it's coming from a place of insecurity, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be, right? And and part of it is just. I wish people knew that they are cool and awesome in their own skin and, uh, and, and operating from that place as opposed to trying to be somebody else in any mm. good context to fit in is, is the most important thing. Correct. Um, to sort of wrap things up, I want to ask you, are there any classes from Howard that strike out? And I'll give an example. There were many classes at BU that changed my life completely, but there was this one um, by the campaign manager of the first black senator of Massachusetts. I forget what his name is. Um, not the professor, the senator. But um, he gave a class every Wednesday called um, Persuasion and Public Opinion. And whatever he learned on the campaign trail, he taught us. And I've never had a better understanding of um, 
people as choice making machines and yeah. how the elements of persuasion apply to every single thing, every single facet of your life, including content that really changed my life. Are there classes at Harvard that you took that? Whoa, like this perspective is something I needed or this just flipped my reality 180 degrees. No, hundred percent. And I think when I went into college, right, it's, it's, it's a luxury to be able to approach your college education like this, but I went into college thinking what are themes I care about in the world and how can I learn about them? Hmm. So, you know, I cared a lot about, for example, um, understanding something related to the environment and how the brain works. I understand right. I wanted to care about, I cared a lot about negotiation and persuasion, right? And I studied psychology and global health. That was my major. Psychology mm-hmm. was a major, global health was minor. Um, and so I took a lot of classes in persuasion and nudging and all of that. There was this one class that I took uh, that actually counted for both my major and minor and for all of these things. And I was like, oh, great. And it was one of those classes you had to apply multiple times to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called negotiation and conflict management from the all oh, right because um doesn't howard have like the world's biggest negotiation school like there's a whole department dedicated to like negotiation and I, I know this because um chris was the the author of uh, um what's never split the difference the famous book on negotiation yeah yeah, yeah. he was talking about it but yeah no 100 and this is really cool right so you reapplied every year to try to get in and it was they tried to keep it a small seminar of you know 35 people mm-hmm. um, and the professor was absolutely amazing. Um, this is Professor Shapiro. We had experiences in that class. I love the fact that it was so hands-on. I'll give you an example, right? He gave hmm. a case study and um, gives a case study about, you know, this conflict in South America. And he's like, this is a conflict. Here's some background knowledge. Why don't you take a look at this case and kind of figure out what you would say to, you know, in this context, the Ecuadorian president. So we were all brainstorming. He split us up into groups. Next thing we know, he had turned off the lights. There was like some disco theme coming in. And the Ecuadorian president from that year walked into the room. That's crazy. Right? It was insane. And then we we were able to like give him our suggestions. And he actually was like, you know, I might have thought of it that way. Like that would be a really interesting mm. thing if I handled it like that. And we were like, whoa, <laughs> you know, this was really cool. Or I think there was a really interesting exercise, which I honestly think most people should do. So they split us up into groups very randomly and mm-hmm. they just locked us in rooms, meaning not actually, but like essentially locked us in rooms. And they were like, you have 20 minutes to build your own world. You all have to come to a consensus. What is the superior race in this world? What is the superior religion? Um, what is your motto? What is your flag? And you know, it was like some fun things, like what's your color, but also some, you know, serious things. And it was so interesting because I remember for you know, religion, um, I grew up Hindu, but I'm not like particularly attached to religion in right. any capacity. So I just offered, I was like, hey, maybe Hinduism because it's so open or like Buddhism or, you know, all of these things. And it was so interesting because there were a couple uh, very staunchly Catholic and and Muslim students in that group who were like, sorry, but I've literally grown up believing um, in monotheism. I cannot believe in polytheism. Like this will not work for me. So we had to find a very specific founder, but was also open. And like, it was so fascinating or like defining the race. We chose Asian because we're like, Anybody could be Asian. <laughs> like technically most of the people could be Asian. So it's like the most popular, but it was just so, and it was such a fascinating exercise. We were arguing a lot. We were trying to like appease each other. And, and then, and then they brought us into class. So we all had done this exercise essentially to form an in-group, right? To be, mm. to, to be this team. And now we all loved each other. 
Right. And came in and pitted us against each other as teams with this one situation. It's like an alien invasion took over. Literally, he, the professor went all out. He wore an alien head and was like, you have whatever to save the planet. Now you all have to choose which of these countries everybody will live in. Right. And we were also wow. stubborn because we loved our own. We couldn't <laughs> love the others because we'd spent so much time. <laughs> wow. It's like um, group dynamics plus public policy plus brainstorming plus your own biases coming out on the table. Wow. I'm, yeah, yeah I, I know world building exercises, but this is wonderful because you're forced to confront, you know, your own beliefs around what race and wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. And, you know, I've had many experiences like that. And, you know, my, my parents will often joke, they're like, you took the most, because my brother is also at Harvard, right? He's in a second. Mm-hmm. He's taking more of the like CS class and this stats class and this. Right. Um, whereas, I would like say the names in my class and they're like, but to me, <laughs> I just loved being able to learn about those themes. Right. Because mm-hmm. it was like, wow. I mean, you, yeah. you can relate. It's- yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, for sure. In my final year of college, I took a class in puppetry and that changed my life completely. I have a podcast with that professor um, on this channel as well, where she showcases a doll. Yeah, you haven't already, whoever's watching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, she showcases a doll that has, it's happy on one side and then you flip over a skirt and it turns into something else and it's sad on the other. But like, it was really cool. And I would have never taken something like this as even artistic as I am, creative as I am. That was wonderful. Um, Avanti, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Um, next time we'll do it with slightly less time constraints and talk a bunch about your life at Howard and like what lies ahead. Um, for this time, where can, where can people find you? Um, anywhere and everywhere. Just type in Avanti Nagral and I will show up magically. Um, but just feel free to come say hi um i try to be friendly and responsive so (laughs) we'd love to meet all of you and if y'all are watching this please make sure you go like share comment and subscribe to this podcast and this channel and all of the wonderful things well you have your call to action sorted out (laughs) (laughs) well i'm I'm telling them to do it for you because they are here on oh thank you i appreciate it um (laughs) All right. Fantastic. Um, It's been a pleasure having you on and uh, I'll see you on the flip side.